This digitally remastered episode is sponsored by our publisher, Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing. To get a signed copy of our book, Transmigrations, go to sageandsavant.com or pick up your copy from edgewebsite.com or Amazon today. And now, for our show. and welcome to the audio etheric transmission The Tales of Sage and Savant, a Twin Star production. This broadcast is brought to you on the first of each month from the Twin Star Studios in sunny Southern California. Episode 3, Juice Joint Sheba, was written by Eddie Louise. Our tale stars Chip Michael as Professor Erasmus Savant, Eddie Louise as Dr. Petronella Sage, and myself, Justin Bremer, as your humble narrator, and features the music of The Cog is Dead. And now, without further ado, we bring you the tales of Sage and Savant. When last we saw our plucky professors, they were newly returned from a successful trip through time and space. If one can call a complete lack of control, unawareness of destination, inability to explain, death-plagued fluke a success, that is... But by whatever minuscule measure, the attainment of her goal, no matter how tenuous, has spurred Dr. Sage on to further and more speculative measures. She'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. It has also made her insufferably cheerful. There have been a few advances I should tell you of, dear listeners, since last we met. The doctor has staged her experiment an additional three times with results that she qualifies as success. Each time, the pair have traveled to a different point of time in the 19th century, but any attempt to broaden the scope of their travels via the expediency of increased electrical discharge has been flummoxed by crisped skin and singed hair. Erasmus! She'll be driving six white horses when she comes. What an impossible good mood you're in today, my dear. When she comes. Does this mean you've solved the singeing problem? She'll be driving six white horses. She'll what be is this strange get-up you're wearing? Having grown used to seeing the doctor run about the lab in little more than a chemise and corset, the professor is naturally curious to find her clad in what appears to be a gentleman's swim costume nearly covered in swirling copper coils. The end effect is rather a cross between a knight of old and a union suit. This get-up, as you call it, is a Faraday armor. These swirls of copper wire will serve to conduct a higher voltage of electricity whilst keeping us safely insulated from the effects. Us? Well, yes, us. I've made one for you, too. Be a dear and pop it on. I'm anxious to see the effects of increased voltage on our travels. Increased voltage? How increased? Will this mean that we'll be able to travel further? The areas that my father and grandfather lived through are fairly well documented, as you know, but, oh, I should be most curious if we should succeed in traveling to the Renaissance or further. Well, the increased electricity is part of it, but I still think the key lies in exposing nodal lines. I suspect that different electrical frequencies will correspond with different nodal lines and thus influence our travel in a different way. So today, 
We test that theory. These new suits seem quite spiffy. And how will you affix the electrodes now? That is the beauty of it. The suit itself serves as a giant electrode. There are two suction cups that need to be pressed from the outside to ensure they're in contact with your nerve clusters. Here and here. Oh. Now, you are engaged, and thanks to the copper on your backside making contact with the table, oh. the entire electrical grid is up and running with far less trouble. What do you think? Genius! And you made these suits yourself? Well, yes. I could not risk Baxter getting word of what I'm doing from fabrication. The Chancellor still believes I'm conducting straightforward galvanization experiments. Petra, you're going to have to let the university in on your activities sooner or later. I know, but I wish to have some concrete research and results before I do. I want them to be so amazed at my discovery that they offer me a fellowship, which means I must simply understand why we go where we go, not just how to make it happen. Once more into the breach, then. Into the breach. And so we once again witness the electrical spectacular that has become such a regular part of our lives. Whirling forks of lightning, sparks traveling the conduits connected to the tables on which our heroes lie, an increasing static cacophony. This is new. Our two scientists are enveloped in glowing coats of blue energy. The electricity dances along the outline of their corporeal forms encased in the strange suits the doctor called Faraday armor. The doctor kicks open the water spigot. Now she increases the voltage even further. The electricity covering their forms has thickened to the point that our heroes are totally obscured. Were it not for the dark lenses and the goggles I wear, I should be quite blinded by the display. The sound of the Ozmatronic clad knee device joins the laboratory's electric mayhem and... as if Dr. Sage has indeed increased the electrical amplitude for the experiment? Will this have broadened the scope of their travels, or simply have provided the fireworks of finale? We'll find out after this short musical break. Now, dear friends, we invite you to listen to the musical outpourings of John Sprocket and The Cog is Dead, singing their hit number, Danger on the Dance Floor. Dancers stop big 
because they think that they hear a funny sound. Then all of a sudden, the chandelier falls down. Da -da, da -da, da -da, da -da, da -da. It misses narrowly, but this is harrowing. The lovers tremble, intertwined. They were just out for a night on the dance floor. She is just out of her mind. The couple look around, no exit can be found. They fear she may have one star. Scared to admit that this could be it. Facing danger on the dance floor. To our story. When last we saw our heroes, they were bedecked in Faraday armor, which was, in turn, bedecked in a nimbus of electricity. When Sage awakens, her body is encased in small pieces of glass, but the electricity has receded, leaving behind only the faint scent of ozone overlaid by a vomitous stench. She lies prone on a banquette, her head hanging over the edge as she contemplates a most repellent puddle on the floor. Hey, dollface, you copacetic down there? Oh. Is it my cheetahs, or is that Sheba painting my floor? Yeah, yeah, don't cast a kitten. She had too much giggle water, but this is Delilah Mahoney, America's sweetheart, so I am sure you do not wish to upset her at this point in time. Delilah Mahoney? In my juice joint? Well, that doll's got the goods. I'll send Antoine right over to clean this up for you, Miss Mahoney. Oh, where am I? You're in 21, Delilah, don't you remember? We came out for a Lollapalooza before the storm gives us the bums rush. Oh, yes, of course. 21. The storm. Oh, I don't feel so well. Alcohol? Of course. What you have most likely deduced by now, dear listeners, is that the good doctor has transmigrated farther than she ever has, but more critically, in a direction she has not yet traversed, into the future. 
Her evanescent self in this time is a young starlet named Delilah Mahoney, recently deceased due to alcohol poisoning. Where is Professor Savant? <gasps> Have you got a new sugar daddy? Oh, that's swell! I never liked that Raymond. Erasmus Savant is not my father. Speaking of Erasmus, he has made his way into the body of Delilah Mahoney's chauffeur. The careless girl had commanded the besotted young man to stay in his place behind the wheel of her Imperial E-80, a sleek and fashionable motor car with a driving cab open to the elements. Though the dash provides some shelter from the wind, it offers no protection from the freezing temperatures. The date is February 13, 1928, and New York City is in the grip of a terrible freeze. Dr. Sage, however, is in the grip of a terrible drunken cowk. Oh, hey, you don't look so good. Can I get you another glass of panther piss? I need sugar and water quickly. Barley water if they have it. Hey, what's with the static, Delilah? Are you jelly? Jelly would be fine. Just get that and the water now. Oh, fine if you're going to get all Mrs. Grundy about it. As usual, the doctor seems to have things under control. Perhaps we should check in on the professor. I am relieved to report that Professor Savant has removed himself from his frozen position in the automobile and is pacing for warmth. You and I, listener, can deservedly compliment each other for choosing to follow these two highly capable and intelligent adventurers. Ooh, it is deucibly cold. Perhaps I should have it just a wee lie down here in the, the lee of this building. Surely the, the great stone bulk of it will shield me from the wind. I have spoken too soon. Buzzes and braces out, boys! The bulls have arrived to bust the illegal gin joint. Dr. Sage is many things, but calm in the presence of a red-faced man issuing incomprehensible orders is not one of those things. I hesitate to leave Professor Savant, but we had better return to the doctor to watch what transpires. Everybody stay where you are! This is a bust! You're all in contravention of the Volstead Act of the 18th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States of America. Oh, I'm shutting this what is bar. that noise? It's the fuzz. We need to breeze. Delilah, come on. Wait, this way, Miss Mahoney. Shadow me. I'll get you out of here safely. The bar manager reaches up to the paneled wall behind the banquette and presses a hidden switch. The panel slides back, revealing a hidden hallway. Go through here. At the end of the hall, turn left and go up the stairs. That'll bring you out on 6th Avenue. Go! The doctor and her female companion slip through the wall and watch as the panel slides closed, effectively cutting them off from the pandemonium that has erupted in the club. The two follow the barman's directions and emerge from the door onto a frozen and desolate 6th Avenue. Fortune smiles on the professor at this moment, because the wall he had chosen to lean against is the exact wall containing the door that the doctor has just bashed through. The fleeing girl stumbled over the sprawled legs of the nearly unconscious man. Uh, Erasmus? Have you lost your peepers, Delilah? This is Jasper, your driver. Uh, Yes, yes, Jasper. (laughs) For a moment, I thought you were someone else. Oh, I am someone else. What do you want about, Jasper? We need you to drive Miss Mahoney home at once. Where is the car? Oh, it is there somewhere. 
He gestures limply towards the corner, and the girl trots off to locate the vehicle. Erasmus? It is you, isn't it? Yes, but not for very much longer. I shall now know what it's like to freeze to death. You too, because of what you're wearing. For the first time, the doctor looks closely at her garment. The shape and cut match that of a chemise, but the gown is made of a fine silk chiffon, and every inch is covered with dangling crystal beads. The dress clings to her body in a most scandalous manner and provides no protection from the cold. I am wearing what appears to be quite normal clothing for the young women of this place. Have you any idea of when or where we are? I haven't any idea of anything. I think I'll just go back to sleep now, thank you. Before the doctor can reply, Erasmus topples over into the snow. At the same moment, the girl returns, her arms full of a large fur coverlet. Here, Delilah, wrap this around you. There are coppers swarming all over the place. We won't be able to extract the car. I was barely able to snag this lap rug from the front seat. We'll have to get Jasper to whistle up a taxi, and we'll get you home. Jasper won't be whistling for anything ever again if we do not get him inside and get him warmed up. The man is positively frozen. Please, can you call a handsome cab for us? Ignoring the odd look the girl gives her, Petra pulls the professor's inert form back to a sitting position and then cuddles up as close as she can get, wrapping the fur around their huddled forms. She watches through bleary eyes as the girl flags a taxi. The effects of the alcohol, the adrenaline, and the cold are beginning to take their toll on the doctor as well. If she does not find a way to get them successfully inside, the mystery of where and when they are will remain in shadows to the doctor. Spurred on by this thought, she shakes the professor awake. Erasmus, get up. Get up. Don't quit on me. Sleep. Sleep is good. If you sleep, you will be dead, and I will not stand for that. With a combination of threats and cajoling, the doctor gets the professor on his feet just in time for the arrival of a taxicab. Fortunately, the girl they are with seems to know where Delilah Mahoney lives, so before too long they are home, in a luxurious building with a sleek marble lobby, an ornate brass elevator, and a long ascent to a penthouse apartment overlooking a great park. Good evening, Miss Mahoney. Now I'm glad to see you in out of this storm. It is a homedinger tonight. Mercury sitting at 19 degrees. That is too cold for man or beast. Yes, um, thank you. Mr. Raymond is not home. I guess a little bit of nasty weather doesn't scare him, now does it? Luckily, Petra is saved from having to answer by the elevator's arrival in a gleaming and luxurious foyer. I need two pieces of bread, uh, spread with butter and honey for myself, a, a pitcher of water, a, a pot of tea, a warm towels, Blankets, a fire. I'll call Alice. She should have the fire in the lounge stoked nice and hot on a night like this. You wait in there. Come on, Jasper. I'll get you back to the servants' quarters. No. Uh, Jasper stays with me. His condition will need to be monitored. Raymond won't like that. You know how jealous he can be. You heard the man. Raymond is not here. And if I do not get Jasper warmed up, he won't be here either. Please do as I asked. Right, all right. Don't get your knickers in a twist. 
come along, Professor. If that door led to the kitchen, one of these other doors has to be the promised lounge with the fire. Each door Sage opens reveals luxury and decorative splendor. A library with floor-to-ceiling shelves, a dining room with a gleaming mahogany table to sit twenty, and finally the lounge, which did indeed contain a massive granite fireplace, complete with roaring fire. Oh, now we're talking. Come on, Erasmus. Let's get you out of these cold and wet clothes. Petra, I I don't think... Uh, uh, That I should be undressing you? It's too late. There's your chest. Oh, my... Why, that's a strapping chest, isn't it? Uh, and there are your, uh, thighs. Maybe those should wait until I take off your shoes. Sit down here on this fur, Erasmus. Let me remove your boots. Are, are there any toes? I can't feel a thing below my knees. Yes, here are your toes, and they are quite blue. Let's get those trousers off. Uh, now pull that fur around you whilst I remove my shift. The best way to warm you will be with my body heat. The sight of the professor's feet and lower legs has rattled the doctor. They are severely chill-blained and might be frostbitten. She realizes how close her friend is to death, but her own body, though ravished by alcohol, seems likely to get off with nothing worse than a killer hangover. Each journey thus far has ended in the same manner, with simultaneous death. She can only speculate what might happen if one of them dies but the other does not. Many of those lines of speculation end badly. I cannot. This won't. How does one remove this garment? There are no hooks, no buttons, no tops. Oh, come over here, Hen. I can help you remove your dress. I've imagined saying that line one day, but these are not the circumstances I envisioned. There is nothing to undo. There's only this strangely scratchy seam along the side. Ah, that's interesting. It is scratchy because it's made of overlapping metal teeth. How strange. It must make the seam very strong. Sorry, Pat. This body appears strong, but it's exceptionally weak. Wait, what is this small tab? Oh, it tore. Uh oh no, it parted. Oh, I think. Oh, that's marvelous. Oh, oh, see how the little teeth in it close to the seam. Oh, it's like an automatic sewing seam. <laughs> that is quite enough, Erasmus. I'll take it from here. I was about to die, Petra, but you've inherited a lovely body this time yourself. Hmm, this body's pretty. I hadn't noticed. Far more than pretty, dear. You are numinous. Before the doctor can respond, the girl enters the room bearing blankets and a tray with tea and water. Here is the tea and the things you asked for, Delilah. Oh, Dee, what are you doing? Oh, Raymond will kill you for this. The doctor dives for the nearest cover, which unfortunately is the fur that is covering Erasmus. As she struggles to cover her own nakedness, she uncovers that of her friend. Oh, I can't see why you are tempted into doing what you are doing. What I am doing, you silly child, is saving Jasper's life. He needs to be warmed up, and body heat is the safest way to do that. Here, Jasper, take this blanket and now scooch over. I'm coming in. That is all we need, my dear girl. You may go. Huh, Miss Hoity-Toity, you just do what you want. I'm leaving, and if Raymond comes home, the consequences will be on your own head. And don't say I didn't warn ya. 
Well, that was abrupt. Now maybe I could get some sleep? No sleep for you, old friend. Not until I have you warmed up. It would be too easy for your body to just give in to the cold if you sleep. So here, let me chafe those calves for you and stay awake and talk to me. Petra, what happens to the two of us if we do not expire at the same time? I was thinking, we've traveled five times so far and each time we've arrived together and left together. What happens when that is not the case? I do not know. It could be that we do not make the journey back, but it is just as likely that we would return with no problems, though in a staggered sequence. It is obvious from our surroundings that you're a woman of some beans in this time. So if I die tonight, it might be some time before you expire. Years, even. What would happen to your own body, then? And even if you did return years later, what kind of a body would you be returning to? Erasmus, you mustn't try to scare me with your random questions. I do not know the answers. That is why we're testing these things by taking multiple trips. The more data we gather, the more answers I shall have. Yes, but... There are no buts. Well, there is this one here. Let me spoon you and give you some of my warmth. Sage held Savant, jostling and cajoling him to stay awake until the shivering began. At this sign of his warming, she climbed out of their nest amidst the blankets and furs and poured a steaming cup of tea from the pot on the sideboard. Over the next few hours, Sage alternated lashings of hot tea laced with honey with sessions of spooning and massaging designed to restore the professor's dangerously low body temperature to more acceptable levels. Finally, as some pink began to creep back into his lower extremities, she allowed her friend to drift off to sleep. And so, dear listeners, let's leave them to their dreams as we pause for a word from our sponsor. Hello, listeners. Eddie Louise here, head writer for the Tales of Sage and Savant. I like stories that ignite my imagination, that make me think about the world in new ways, and that inspire me to build a future world. This is the kind of fiction I strive to write, and this is the kind of fiction published by our sponsor, Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing. Featuring works by established authors and emerging new voices, Edge is pleased to provide quality literary entertainment, including book one of the Tales of Sage and Savant, Transmigrations, in both print and pixels. Look for books with the Edge logo at your local bookstore and online for Kindle, Kobo, Nook, iTunes, and Google Play. Find your next great read at www.edgewebsite.com. Yes, dear friends, when you want to curl up with a great story, trust books from Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing. And now, back to our story. When we left our heroes, they were clenched in a most intimate manner under a fur. Though still sawing logs for Morpheus... They are about to awaken and realize the closeness of their contact. Let's observe, shall we? Mm. Oh, this time I've certainly awoken. Oh, room. Oh, I- I'm sorry, Petra. <laughs> Morning, Wood. Uh, I beg your pardon. Admiral Andrew Wood fought Stephen Bull to a standoff, the battle that coined the phrase two ships passing in the night. 
Never mind. You are most charming when you're flustered, Petra. <laughs> Never mind that. How are you feeling? I feel that it's cold out there. Oh, share some of that blanket, won't you? Oh, my. Oh, you're naked as a jaybird. Well, now I'm naked. No, here. No, no wait. Get the pull. Give me that. Okay. Hey, no, I need no, some of that. No, I'll you, take that one. Please. No, 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 why don't you? Fine. Okay. <laughs> okay, that'll work. Whatever went on last night? Don't you remember? Not a tot. I awoke in this body recently deceased from alcohol poisoning. I found you nearly frozen. Your body apparently died of exposure. Oh, that would explain the tingling feeling in my extremities. Quite. Oh. <laughs> Then we were brought to this home via the most remarkable horseless carriage. I've never seen its like. And after that, I spent the rest of the night attempting to get you to warm up. And you needed to be naked to do that work. Body heat is the best method for restoring a person from hypothermia. Uh, So here we stand, wrapped in our respective blankets. Where are we? I don't know. A large city. Perhaps Manhattan. Oh, but the clothing is so radical. And the vehicles, this place, none of it looks familiar. Well then, we shall have to investigate. How did you look at this place? The foyer is like a museum. Look, there's a lift right into the flat. Quite posh, that. Oh, good, a newspaper. Look, Petra, we have right here, Manhattan, New York Times. Look at the date. How is that possible? What? What is the date? February 14th, 1928. (gasps) It says here that someone named Lindbergh has completed a successful flight from Havana to St. Louis in the fog. (gasps) A flight, Petra. An aeroplane from Havana (laughs) to St. Louis in the fog, even. What a marvelous world. Uh, But see here, a club dancer tried to kill herself in a lake last night. It's not that different from our time, after all. A little tawdry journalism exposing some poor girl's tragedy is not going to put me off this place. Petra, we have come to the future. How marvelous is that? You are right. I'm sorry. What else is there for us to discover? Something called a cinema. Warner Theater playing a moving picture. Al Jolson in The Jazz Singer? I don't know what a jazz singer is, do you? No. And what is a cinema? Some sort of stereo-opticon? And why would they bother to advertise such a thing in the paper? Petra, we simply must go explore the world outside. What wonders will we find? Where are my clothes? Your clothes are here, on the Davenport. My dress must be... Ah, yes, here it is, under the settee. Whatever in the world is that? Last night, you called it an automatic seam sewer or some such. See? You grasp this little tab, give it a tug, and voila! Astounding. Here, slip your dress on. Let me see how it works. (laughs) How remarkable. Perfect closure every time. Such an ingenious invention. Oh, the future is a miraculous place. Where is she? Delilah! I regret to inform you, dear listeners, that while our heroes were distracted by the news from the future, a very disgruntled Raymond Belmont has returned home to the flat he shares with Miss Delilah Mahoney, America's sweetheart. What Sage and Savant do not know is that last week, Raymond caught Miss Delilah in a compromising position with her chauffeur, which she was just able to smooth over with a story of a broken heel and a trip down the stairs. This event means that the man was primed for reaction when Delilah's erstwhile friend, Hazel, braved the storm and the freezing temperatures to find Raymond at his club and explain what was happening at home. 
with the coppers sounding hot on the streets and clubs all along the Times Square corridor getting raided, Raymond could not come home immediately, which means his petty jealousy has had time to develop into a very black mood. Delilah! Delilah, where are you? If you're with that Jasper... The scene that meets Raymond's gaze as he takes in the room is one of unmistakable in flagrante delecto. First, there is a fur rug spread before the fire. Second, there is a tray with the leavings of a late-night snack drizzled with honey. Third, the titular chauffeur has his hand on the zipper tab of Miss Delilah's dress. Fourth, and most damning, is the naked state of the muscular driver himself. Only a blanket slung low across washboard abs covers his modesty. I knew it, you conniving Sheba. I knew you cannot be trusted. Watch your tone with her, you cretin. No chauffeur would tell me to watch my tone. I have had enough. Our befuddled professor was perhaps not thinking too clearly in the face of a crazed man wildly waving a pistol. Raymond Belmont is a man with a deadly gleam in his eye. Raymond. It is Raymond, isn't it? So now you will claim to not even know my name. Uh, uh, no, of course. I know your name, you old goof. But you are acting so unlike yourself. I was worried you'd gone completely do-lolly. You accuse me of being off my rocker? I am having an entirely reasonable reaction for a man who finds his girl cavorting naked with the chauffeur. If that is what you had found, perhaps. But this is not what it seems. Jasper nearly froze to death in the storm last night. And as you know, the best way to warm a person in that condition is with body heat. I was simply saving the man's life. You cannot fool me. I saw Nurse Nelly saves the day with you and that Parker Charles fellow. And warming that guy up involved a lot more than just body heat. What were you doing here last night? Recreating that scene from your latest film? If I understood what you were talking about, I could answer your argument. This is just like you, Delilah. Play dumb when you don't want to face a thing. Well, this is it, and you're going to have to face it. I warned you what would happen if you cheated on me. This is on you. Dr. Sage tries in vain to stop the inexorable fall of her closest friend. The chauffeur's body crumples to the floor, a small black hole smoking in his forehead. Who is Erasmus? You monster! How could you do such a thing? Who is Erasmus? Do you have another jelly bean idea somewhere? Alice? Alice! The deranged, gun-toting boyfriend staggers out of the room, screaming for the maid, certain that he will find another man hiding somewhere in the house. Ignoring her chance to flee, Petra has folded around the chauffeur's body in shock at the brutal death of her friend. It is one thing to die simultaneously with the knowledge that you will wake again still together, and quite another to watch the light fade in a friend's eyes while you are left to do nothing but cradle his naked body. For the first time, Petra considers the danger of her line of scientific inquiry. I do hope you're right, old man and that my body will be waiting for me. I do not fancy a long life in an uncertain future without you. Time holds no meaning as our doctor holds the body of the man who was and was not her friend in a twisted representation of Schrodinger's dilemma. Sometime later, the rabid killer returns. Don't think that you're safe just because this Erasmus cake eater had the moxie to ankle it when he heard me coming. 
this is Erasmus. He is my dearest friend, you horrible man. You've put a hole in the head of the body that was hosting him. What are you on about? This was Jasper Montgomery, all chauffeur and a woman stealing scum. Now he's nothing but buzzard mate. You don't understand. I am not Delilah. This is not Jasper. Not anymore. Your Delilah died in a pool of her own vomit last night. Jasper froze to death in the storm. We are scientists from 1893. We came and inhabited these bodies. So no, your precious Delilah did not cheat on you again. Your precious Delilah is dead. No one gets one over on Raymond Belmont. Not even a doll face calling herself America's sweetheart. America's lying, cheating whore is more like it. You done me wrong, Delilah Mahoney, whether it was with one gigolo or a baker's dozen, and now you've got to pay. A deadly projectile rifling from the muzzle of a 38 caliber heater leaves our hero's borrowed bodies exsanguinating on the parlor floor. For the first time since their adventures through time and space began, the two scientists did not face death at the same moment. Will those critical moments separating their demise end up separating them in the chronosphere? Will they awaken in their own bodies after experiencing lead-filled sleep? We'll find out next month in the Tales of Sage and Savant. The Tales of Sage and Savant is a twin star production brought to you on the first of each month from our Southern California studios. Starring Chip Michael as Savant, Eddie Louise as Sage, and Justin Bremer as the narrator. Episode 3, Juice Joint Sheba, was written by Eddie Louise. Theme music by Chip Michael. Special music in this episode was Danger on the Dance Floor from the album Full Steam Ahead by The Cog Is Dead. Check them out at thecogisdead.com. Sage and Savant would like to respectfully request that you visit their page. We would like to thank our friends Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing for sponsoring this digitally remastered episode. Catch our website at sageandsavant.com and like us on Facebook to stay current with all things Sage and Savant. And remember, death is no barrier to science.